Well, happy Thanksgiving weekend, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Inside West Virginia Politics. I'm your host, Mark Curtis, along with my co-host, Adrian Robbins, and our very special guest, Natalie Tennant. You know her as the former two-term Secretary yeah. of State as a Democrat here in West Virginia, and she's running again. Yes, I am. <laughs> Obviously, the voters already are very familiar with you, but tell us a little bit about yourself for those who maybe don't know you. Oh, wow. Well, um, folks know me from my last uh, eight years as Secretary of State. They know the record that I had in modernizing the office, in streamlining the office, in, in cutting fees for businesses and making it easier for veterans to start a business and help to create jobs in West Virginia. Um, I guess before that, um, a lot of times folks will remember me as the Mountaineer. I mean, that was, you know, almost 30 years ago, but, um, you know, that's why it's no, it's no surprise to people and no secret how much I love West Virginia. You saw it in me as a, as a 22-year-old kid. I was a television reporter right. who told the stories of West Virginia and so proud to be able to do that. And so, in addition to public service, uh, means a lot to me, and I respect um, the practice of public service. And, and, and more importantly, though, I think that West Virginians deserve someone in office who is a good steward of the money, someone who has put in place the, the practices that were efficient, that saved businesses money, that saved taxpayers money, that saved offices money, and then I gave back that money. So that's just one reason I'm running for office. All right, make your pitch to voters why, you know, obviously Mac Warner defeated you in your last re-election, mm -hmm. but why should people bring you back and what are your, your top priorities going to be? What are they going to see from a new Secretary oh, of State, Natalie uh, Tennant? That, that's a great question and I think that um, folks have had the opportunity to look at records now and uh, people will ask me that question, Mark, like, oh, what do you think happened? And I think, well, you know, I didn't, I didn't show my record well enough. I didn't show my record that, listen, I, I put into practices um, um, of saving West Virginians money by, by whether it was the, the waiver for our veterans who wanted to start their business, whether it was um, through transparency and starting the um, Freedom of Information Act that made it more transparent and accountable to the people of West Virginia, or whether it was for businesses and starting the, the one-stop shop business portal that businesses could um, easily get registered and then go out and create jobs. And so, you know, that's what I'm going to show folks is that this was my record over the last eight years, and you deserve to have someone who's going to take care of your money and who's going to be a good manager of the money in, in, in the practices that they put in place shows the respect that you have for the state. Now you talk about some of the practices that you put in while you were in office. I know Mac Warner has gotten a lot of flack from the legislature because he hasn't put in some of these practices like automatic voter registration as quickly as they would like. What is your opinion on automatic voter registration and how would you like to see that implemented in the state? That, that was three years ago. Like, I, I, I really get frustrated when I hear this. This was three years ago when this practice was passed by a bipartisan measure. Republicans led the way. Democrats and a Democrat governor voted for it. And so it, it's been passed since 2016. It should have been in place in 2017. And um, uh, not really funny, but, but you know, I, I believe in voting rights and I believe in election reform. And that's what I've been doing over the last three years uh, of not being Secretary of State, of advocating for automatic voter registration in other states, whether they were red states, blue states, or purple states. And so, 
when you ask me what do I think about that, <laughs> I'm thinking, hey, we should have done this three years ago. We have a state-of-the-art technology and he is dragging his feet. He is not allowing West Virginians to move forward because here we go. You know, it's not 2016 anymore. We're now working on 2020. And we should have already had automatic voter registration, which is a very simple process. People can still decline to register to vote if they want to. This is not something that's we're making people register to vote. So we should have had that implemented, um, you know, three years ago, two years, two and a half, three years ago. And now we would be working on other reforms that need to be in place because, you know, folks are, are focused on 2020, how safe are our elections. Our elections are safe, but there are practices that can be put in place, like um, a risk-limiting audit that allows you to take a look at the end of the election and, and you have a statistical number of ballots that you look at and you, you, can, you can measure of whether or not those votes have been counted. And we're so far behind now because he wouldn't put that in place. All right. Well, we're going to hear from Mac Warner, not in this program. We've invited him on. Yep. His office tells me that he'll come on as soon as he uh, he files for re-election. But uh, and we'll have you back certainly as we get the closer to the campaign. But yeah, we want to thank it. Democrat Nat Natalie Tennant, former Secretary of State for two terms here in West Virginia. Good to see you again, fellow broadcaster. <laughs> it's <laughs> kind of fun to be back out here. I bet, isn't it? All right. <laughs> getting ever closer to the legislature convening in January for its annual 60-day session. We want to get some impressions from one of our freshman delegates, Amanda Eastep Burton, Democrat of Kanawha County. Great to have you on the Thanks program. Thanks for having me, Mark. You have now served in the legislature the first for one year. You're running for re-election. What, what are your impressions of what you've seen so far? Um, you know, I was really um, impressed with the way that we were able to work together throughout the committee processes. Um, the, the political climate is on a national level, very, very divisive. Um, I feel like on most aspects within our state house, we can put part, party politics aside and learn to get along and, and move things forward. Yeah, there's a lot of issues in West Virginia where I think people need to work together on, obviously. that I mean, there's no such thing as a, uh, a Democratic or Republican opi or heroin addict. Right. You know, the opioid crisis is something I see you guys coming together with on jointly and some other issues. As we go forth into 2020 in the next session, what are your hopes? Any, any legislation you want to see that are must-pass things? I have a, a lot of, um, speaking of the opioid epidemics, I'm trying to expand Medicaid access for mental health care um, for, for new mothers, for postpartum mothers, for people that are needing uh, addiction and recovery treatments. Um, that would be one of my big goals. And then also uh, making sure that our roads are taken care of, you know, road maintenance and, and things like that that we were promised last year that didn't actually happen. Yeah, it's gonna be a big issue because not only is it, you start the legislative session in the middle of winter, it's also a campaign year. Yeah. So for political reasons, it'll be big too. Um, many people probably don't know this, but you're a banker by trade. And I've got to ask you some finance questions. Sure. You know, last year we had $541 million in excess revenue that was not anticipated. Mm -hmm. This year we're also, already seeing deficits some you know at some months we were down by 33 million dollars um, what are your concerns about that and especially because we know it's because of the volatility of the coal industry do we have to diversify our economy to f flatten out our revenue stream in the state well absolutely and then this last session um, we were told that we needed to cut severance tax to create jobs well I don't know that I've seen any job creation but I've seen a lack of of revenue from those uh, cut severance taxes. So we have to replace and, and we can't just start cutting um, jobs and things. We need, we absolutely need to diversify our economy and get, get away from the coal industry. I mean, I wanna support the coal industry, but we need to 
expand. Okay. Um, you know, it occurs to me we've had two straight years of teacher strikes, two straight years of 5% pay raises, not just for the teachers, but for all state employees. Uh, how are you guys going to handle that this year? I think there's probably an expectation that maybe there are going to be some more raises, but the governor has not made the promise that he did at this mm -hmm. time last year saying, I'm going to get you 5% again. Well, I mean, the, the deficit in our CPS workers is a, a prime example of why we have to pay people better. We're not going to attract talent to West Virginia and, and end the the opioid epidemic if we don't invest in our people. So um, I, I don't know if you've read recently, there's a huge deficit in CPS workers, their caseloads are overloaded, but we pay them like less than $30,000 a year and we, we require them to have college degrees. It's just not a professional salary. And correct me if I'm wrong, CPS stands for Child Protective Services. Yes, These are the yes, people, sir. let's say a, a, a man or a woman or a couple, and this has happened often, are in custody, custody on drug charges or in the rehab, who's watching, who's taking care of their kids. It's a big issue in the state, is It's absolutely isn't it? a big issue. I think we have 7,000 children in foster care. Yeah, and then we have a lot of kids being raised by their grandparents, or other relatives mm -hmm. and so forth. You've made kind of a splash, and I don't mean to make light of this issue because I think it's a serious issue, but you've made quite a splash lately on social media, on Facebook, about the lack of women's restrooms for the legislators. Uh, there, there's, if you walk into the Capitol, you'll see a restroom and say, you know, delegates only, male delegates only, mm -hmm. and, and you guys wanted one for, for women as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's a serious issue. Absolutely, and it's not that we wanted one for women only. It's that our, our restroom is the public restroom outside of the chambers, way on the other side, which is, is the majority side and then down the hallway um, and if there's any public people there waiting we have to wait and I, I pride myself on showing up for work every day and being present and being involved and I actually missed a vote so I don't have a hundred percent voting record because I was waiting to use the restroom it's not that I actually just wanted access to a restroom closer. It doesn't have to be members only. Just yeah. give me access to a, an accessible restroom that I can use. All right, we hope it all works out. And like I yes. said, people make light of this, especially on social media, but you're right. You get elected to go down there and serve the public. You want to cast each and every vote. And there are times where we're on the floor for 12 hours at a time, yeah. you know? That's I mean, true. We look forward to seeing you in January. You Delegate so Amanda Eastep Burton, Democrat of Kanawha County, thanks for being Thank with you. us on Inside West Virginia Politics. And uh, we'll have more of our program after this break. Stay with us. Inside West Virginia Politics is brought to you by AARP West Virginia, your ally for real possibilities in the Mountain State. Welcome back to Inside West Virginia Politics. We're moving a little past politics now and on to National Adoption Month. Kylie Hassan from Mission West Virginia, thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I ran into you and your folks covering an event at the Capitol the other day, and one of our reporters was covering your event, and I was just fascinated by it. What does Mission West Virginia do? I know it's National Adoption Month, as Adrian mentioned. What is the purpose of your organization, and, and what does it provide in West Virginia? So Mission West Virginia, we're a nonprofit here um, in Hurricane. We also cover the entire state of West Virginia. Um, our mission is to change the lives of youth and families in West Virginia, and we have two main programs that do that. We have our THINK program that stands for Teaching Health Instead of Nagging Kids, and they go into about 20 counties in the state and teach teens about healthy relationships, uh, communication skills, teen pregnancy prevention, things like that. And then our Frameworks program, um, which focuses on finding families for children in foster care, and that's why we're celebrating this month as National Adoption Month obviously Thanksgiving weekend and we have Christmas right around the yeah. corner. It seems like a great time to have this month be here towards the holidays. 
What's kind of the message that you want to get out there to people about adoption who maybe don't know that much about it? Yes, yeah, so uh, we came up with a theme um, to stick to for the month that it takes a village. Um, you know, we've all heard it takes a village to raise children, um, and we think that everyone plays an important part in the village that it takes to support these families. Um, and adoption, um, especially adoption from foster care, can be so rewarding, and um, each of us play a crucial role in that. So um, we're really excited to stick to that theme this month and show people how important it is to these children that we find loving and safe permanent homes for them. As we all know, the opioid crisis has put tremendous pressure and strain on the foster care system in the state. Many kids being raised by grandparents, other folks that are being adopted. I mean, how much does that impact what you guys are trying to do? How much do you it's, deal with that? Yeah, it's, the impact is huge. Uh, we see, you know, the last numbers that we saw at the end of October were that um, almost 7,000 children were in foster care. I think the numbers were 6,996. Um, about 3,500 of that number, um, those children are with relative and kinship. And those are only the numbers that we know of that are being reported through the system. Um, but we, we know that it has absolutely exploded in, in the state with relatives caring for their um, relatives. And we have seen great grandparents in their 90s caring for children under 10. And, you know, if you were a 90 year old, you would never expect to be in that position. And so we have a, a program that helps those relatives kind of guide them through the system um, as a support and a resource because it can be very confusing. It can be very hard to go through being a parent again, you know, in your 90s. The need is obviously out there for foster parents and also adoptive parents. Uh, at that same event at the Capitol, you're talking about, there was one guy who said, I never thought I could be a foster parent. Yes. He's like, now I've fostered many kids, they've adopted a couple now, they're very happy with it. Do you hear that from a lot of people? I could never do that. Absolutely, it's, you know, it's a thing, it's not an easy pitch to people. Um, but it's absolutely very rewarding. People, it's a very hard thing to go through. And a lot of people like Danny Gill, who is our foster adoptive parent that spoke at the Capitol event, he, um, when it, his wife first brought up the idea, he said, absolutely no way, um, I can't do that. A lot of people's fears are that they're going to get attached to these children and then they'll leave. And that is true. Uh, we, it's, it's very important to get attached to these children because the children may have never had attachment before to someone and they remember you even if you leave their home and go um, if they go back to their biological parent or if they move placements they will remember those foster parents that showed them that that love safety and permanency for the time being we're down to about 30 seconds um, this is a fascinating discussion it occurs to me that this Tuesday is giving Tuesday it seems in the holiday season every day has an event like Cyber Monday <laughs> right. if first of all, tell us your website and if folks want to make contributions maybe they're not ready to adopt but they would like to contribute to what you folks do work can they reach sure you? yeah there's lots of different ways that people can help so they can visit us on um, the web at www.missionwv.org all right well thank you so much kylie hassan from mission west virginia it was great talking to you about this of thank course. you very much Look, we've talked politics for three segments. We got to have a little fun here. I want to introduce Joe Stephen. He's the spokesman for the West Virginia Ski Areas Association because ski season is now open in the Mountain State. And we want to talk about that. On Friday, November 22nd, uh, Mark, uh, everybody started going downhill. Things started going downhill <laughs> in West Virginia as snowshoe dropped the ropes on that day, and ski season is now upon us. 
and we've been just having some good time, uh, lots of snow making, and uh, we're getting ready for the season just to keep moving forward. People might be saying, well, why are they talking about skiing on a Sunday political show? Or <laughs> Look, politics uh, is involved creating public policy, and one of the things they create public policy for is tourism in this state, and that's why we're, we're having you on. Uh, how big of a deal is this for tourism an annually in West Virginia, and where are people coming from to visit here? Well, we usually have about 800,000 skier visits during the season here in West Virginia that traditionally goes around the Thanksgiving holiday through uh, into early April. It means 5,000 jobs for people in the Mountain State, and that's not only at the resorts, but at the um, adjacent uh, restaurants and hotels and that sort of thing. It also means a quarter of a billion dollars in an economic impact for the state of West Virginia. So there's a lot of things that go into uh, the ski industry, but it means a lot to West Virginia tourism. Yeah, I, I did a fun thing when I was at Stonewall last time. Of course, Stonewall is not a ski resort, but I was there, and I just took a survey of the parking lot to see how many out-of-state, and I think I counted 11 different states that were represented that particular Sunday in the parking lot, and I assume the ski resorts are very similar. In fact, Florida is one of our largest states that we draw from, and coming up with the Christmas holidays, I would, at least half of the uh, attendance at the resorts at Snowshoe, Winter Place, and Canaan will be from Florida. And a lot of them have never seen snow ever. But we also draw from Virginia, North Carolina, and Ohio. So we draw a lot from all around the region. You, meant th you mentioned the three resorts or ski areas that are operational right now. Uh, I understand there was a big development this week in the resort in Tucker County. Tell me the name of it. And it, was, it had gone out of business or bankrupt, and now it's coming back? Timberline Ski Resort was purchased in an auction by Perfect North Slopes, which is out of Indiana. It's a Midwest uh, resort. It was purchased uh, uh, for $2.2 million. Won't be operating this year, but the folks at Perfect North uh, are looking to operate in the 2020-2021 season. There are great, respected business in the ski industry. Chip Perfect is the president. He has been on site kicking the tires. They're excited about being part of the West Virginia ski industry. This is exciting. I was up in Tucker County about a month ago for the first time. First time that I ventured onto the middle section of Corridor H. And, and the first thing that uh, crossed my mind is, oh my God, when this thing finally gets completed, all of Corridor H, it's going to bring a lot of people into West Virginia during the summer, the spring, the fall, and in particular people coming to ski in the winter. How significant do you folks view that development? Two things on that. Quarter H, or Route 48 as it is now known officially, yeah. it was opened in the mid-90s from Ohio to Elkins, and that opened up a lot from that side of the uh, United States from Ohio and and that area but this quarter now from DC to Davis which is is now open it's cutting 45 minutes to almost an hour of the travel time from the folks from the nation's capital and that's just opening up all kinds of possibilities for tourism in the Canaan Valley area yeah, I had so much fun up there I want to buy a cabin or something <laughs> maybe make an Airbnb it's great um, mention your website and where folks can get information and um, when all the resorts may be open I know it's a guess but goskiwv.com that's goskiwv.com that's the portal for information on the ski industry here in West Virginia Timberline I mean not Timberline but Winter Place and Canaan Valley will be opening later this month in December Snowshoe has already been opening they opened on the 22nd it's all downhill from here. 
<laughs> it's all downhill from here. Sounds like my career. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm going to be around a good long time hosting Inside West Virginia Politics. We want to thank Joe Stevens, our good friend from the West Virginia Ski Areas Association. Have a terrific ski season. We'll see you back here real soon. We'll talk politics next time you're in. Okay? Let gravity be your friend. All right. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Inside West Virginia Politics. You can hear more from state, local, and federal lawmakers each and every Sunday morning on WOWK-TV in Charleston, WBOY-TV in Clarksburg, WDVM in the Eastern Panhandle, WTRF in Wheeling, and WVNS in Beckley. You can also find a new episode of the Inside West Virginia Politics podcast right here on this feed every Monday morning. If you like the show, make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Inside West Virginia Politics is a Star Media Group production. Hosted and managed by Mark Curtis. Produced and edited by Stephen Shaw, Craig Poole, Rick Johnson, and Micah J. Carpenter. Inside West Virginia Politics is recorded and edited inside the studios of WOWK-TV in Charleston, West Virginia. All rights reserved.